The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers Podcast. Today we're catching up with Mike Haynes, Managing Director of New World Resources, which has North America as its focus. It trades under the code NWC, or November Whiskey Charlie. It was last quoted at 3.8 cents for a market cap of about 42 million. As recently as June, New World was a 1.3 cent stock. So it's a stock on the move in response to some exciting exploration results and its antler copper project in northwest Arizona, not far from the town of Cumin. In addition to the results-driven increase in the stock price, New World is benefiting from its status of being one of the few juniors on the ASX with a near-term copper development on its hands. Copper is on the march. It averaged US $2.50 a pound in the June half year and is now sitting at more than $3 a pound. Declining grades, exhausted reserve positions, and a shortage of new copper developments to underpin the electrification of virtually everything is, is behind copper's rebound, notwithstanding the COVID constraints. The bullish outlook, dare I say it, is promising some rotation by investors from gold into copper. So with that, I'm going to say g'day, Mike, and welcome him to the podcast. Hi, Mike, and thanks for your time today. Hi, Barry, and thanks very much for the opportunity to talk to you today. Right. Mike, uh, always a good idea if we could start out by uh, getting a bit of a background on yourself and the board. Yeah, look, uh, myself, I'm, a, I'm technically trained, a, uh, trained as a geologist and geophysicist, but for the last 15 years or so, I've been working more in the corporate sector, um, heavily involved in project acquisition, project finance and exploration and development of projects. Right. Our chairman, Richard Hill, has got a similar background, albeit he's a lawyer and geologists combined, and he's also spent the last fifteen to twenty years in the in the junior sector. And our non-exec director Tony Polglaze has a very long history of building mines. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's uh, a mining engineer and uh, trained in metallurgy as well. Uh, most recently, Tony took the, a an initially a small exploration play. Uh, for copper in Brazil, from uh, in, in listed it in the company of Avanco Resources, took it through exploration, uh, through mine permitting, through feasibility, into production, and uh, a couple of years ago, Avanco Resources was taken out uh, for almost four hundred and fifty million dollars by Oz Minerals. That's right developing a very similar project to the Antler project that we've got here. So Tony's very, very excited to have the opportunity to, to be developing another copper deposit, uh, this time in North America. Right. Okay. Now, uh, Antler, uh, acquired in January this year, came with a historic non-jork resource of 4.6 million tonnes, grading 1.95% copper and 4.13% zinc, along with some lead and silver values. And uh, apparently mine between... Uh, right up until, uh, was it 1970? Um, important to uh, get a background feel for why you're attracted to it. 
and uh, we'll go from there. What uh, the history? I think uh, tells a lot about this story. So if you can run through the, the history of Antler up into the modern day, that'll be great. Yeah, Barry. Look, the immediate re- um, attraction for us to the project was the the phenomenal grades of the ore that was mined previously. So the, there was a uh, the most recent campaign of mining was a, uh, just a six month campaign in 1970. And prior to that, they'd, they'd mined about 35,000 tonnes and they mined another 30,000 tonnes in 1970. And the overall grade of the ore mined to date is uh, very high in both copper and zinc. Uh, it's, it's predominantly a copper mine, uh, but there's very strong zinc credits and combined the historic production averaged over 5% copper equivalent. Right. So that was the immediate reaction uh, attraction for us was the, the extremely high grade. But very quickly on starting to assess some of the work that had been done previously, we started seeing that, that what was mined was just the very shallowest portions of a much larger deposit. And indeed, because of the prevailing copper price when, when this deposit was last mined, then deliberately the old timers just took out the thickest and highest grade portions of uh, of the deposit that they knew. Now, subsequent to 1970, when that last parcel of 30,000 tonnes of ore was mined, then Standard Metals Corp, who was operating the project in 1970, then they anticipated that they would resume mining, but they saw they needed to do two things. They saw they needed to, to drill out more reserves ahead of their then operations. Mm-hmm. And they needed to look at the bigger picture. So they shut down mining in 1970, but they continued to drill from underground and they drilled out a panel of ore between the deepest level in the mine, which was 150 metres below surface at the time, and they drilled out a panel of ore that extends down to about 250 metres below surface with underground drilling. So that ore is there ready to go. That was mining never resumed because the copper price uh, never rebounded to a, to a, a suitable level. Mm-hmm. But just as importantly, in 1975, so four or five years after they did this underground drilling, then Standard Metals Corp drilled a series of nine holes from surface over a strike length of more than 550 metres and down to depths of around 500 metres. Mm-hmm. And all but one of those nine holes intersected high-grade mineralisation. And the, the mineralisation there was comparable to the grades that was mined up until 1970. So it was comparable with the 5% copper equivalent ore. But in 1975, the copper price hadn't rebounded sufficiently for them to justify uh, the restart of mining operations. Mm-hmm. Standard Metals obviously um, ultimately got caught up in some corporate uh, problems and they never returned to the project. Yeah. So Standard Metals continues to be the owner of the, the asset, mm-hmm. but no one has done any work on it prior to New World's involvement since 1975. Mm-hmm. So it was a great starting point for us, having a resource or a historic resource of 4.7 million tonnes of high-grade mineralisation, having a panel of, of high-grade ore that had been drilled out from underground immediately below the, the historic stopes. Mm-hmm. But from our perspective, We saw that with modern exploration methodologies, there was a very high probability we could add to not only the resource base, 
but add to a reserve base to bring this project back into production in the near term. Right. So since acquisition in January, you've uh, uh, been pretty busy with the drill bits. Um, I take it the initial campaign has been confirmation of the existing resource rather than stepping out a long strike or uh, going deeper, or has it been a combination of both? No, it's been a combination of both. So initially we saw that there's a historic resource base that the first thing we we need to do is validate the historic data uh, from, from the historic 51 underground holes and, and there's about 20 holes that have been drilled from surface previously. So the first five or six holes that we drilled were shallowish holes within about 200 metres of surface and just testing areas that were that we understood were unmined in and around historic stopes and in a, and around the historic reserves that have been mm. delineated. Uh, but it was was largely those first six holes were were largely a confirmatory exercise. Right. But but we were extremely surprised during those first six holes that one of one of those holes our our sixth hole, which was drilled only about a hundred meters below surface and only about ten meters from the historic incline. Um, that the incline shaft that had been used for previous mining operations, that intersected 13 metres of mineralisation at 3.5% copper and 5% zinc. Mm. So it was the thickest intersection of mineralisation to that point that had ever been recorded on the project. And that was only 100 metres from surface and only 10 metres from the shaft. So that gave us a huge amount of encouragement that there was a lot of high-grade ore and indeed thick high-grade ore in close proximity to the existing workings or the historic workings that had never been brought into production. Hmm. Okay. But very quickly we turned our attention to extensional drilling and in particular to, to drill deeper and deeper underneath those historic workings. And so over the course of the last couple of months, we've completed a, another dozen holes. Uh, in fact, just yesterday we announced uh, some visual results for our 20th hole that we've drilled on the project and we've got assays, assay results released for uh, the first 18 holes that we've drilled, all of which except one have intersected massive sulphide mineralisation and indeed high-grade massive sulphide mineralisation. But over the, the course of the next uh, 12 to, to 14 holes that we've drilled subsequent to that hole six, then we have worked progressively deeper and deeper, following the thick high-grade mineralisation down to depths of almost 400 metres below surface now, down underneath the historic workings. Mm. And as I say, without exception, oh, sorry, with just one exception, which was, was actually happened to be the shallowest hole that we, we drilled in, the, the, um, in our campaign to date, um, with that one exception, then every single hole that we have drilled has intersected massive sulphide mineralisation here. And I take it, given the, the high-grade nature of the mineralisation, it doesn't take much in terms of tonnage to have uh, you know, a, a very valuable prize on your hand. No, and that's, that's one of the most pleasing things that we have achieved over the last particularly two to three months while we've been drilling deeper and deeper. So when we acquired the, uh, the rights to 100% interest in the project, the historic reports indicated that the average mining thickness historically was about four to five metres. Now, that's, that's a very good thickness to be mining, but 
Over the course of the last couple of months, we have consistently been intersecting mineralisation that's much, much thicker than that historic average. So we've on the flanks of the, the zone that we have been drilling, we've been intersecting zones that, that are up to 10 metres thick. Mm. And for example, in hole 16, we intersected 10.6 metres at 4% copper and 8% zinc. Mm. But then as we move uh, further and further towards the central position directly underneath the historic workings, we've started intersecting initially 17 metres, then 22 metres, and one of our best intersections is 30 metres of continuous mineralisation within this corridor directly underneath historic workings. Now, what it seems to be to us is that as we're getting deeper and deeper, we are getting potentially closer and closer to the source of of the mineralisation to where this mineralisation back uh, in the Proto-Zoic Age, where it vented onto the the, the then seafloor, and it appears to us that we're getting closer and closer to that vent, and hence mineralisation is getting thicker. And as we're seeing thicker mineralisation, we're seeing the very high grades continue, which is extremely encouraging. Mm. So this, the significance of the thick mineralisation is that we are rapidly adding to the resource base, yeah. where previously we might have expected this mineralisation to be on average four to five metres thick, if we are now averaging the order of 20 metres thickness, then per drill hole we are getting four to five times the tonnage that we expected to when we first started exploring this deposit. Right. Okay. Um, so obviously this is a VMS-style uh, deposit? This is a VMS. Um, these, these VMSs, uh, as, as we're seeing here, can be very high grade. Um, they can also be very, very large. And indeed, in the in this district up in northern Arizona, there's in identical aged rocks, then there's some very big VMSs, the, the best of which is a United Verde deposit, which is located about 150 kilometres to the east of us. And there, between 1883 and 1975, they mined out 33 million tonnes of ore from a single VMS deposit. Mm. So these VMS deposits can be very, very big. And that United Verde deposit, the grade of the ore that they mined there, averaged 4.8% copper, very similar to the grade that we're seeing here at Antler, where, as I mentioned, the historic grade was around about 5% copper equivalent. And indeed, the drilling that we're doing, uh, we are continuous continually returning assays that average 4 to 5% copper equivalent. Mm. So we have very high expectations that we can dramatically add to the historic resource base here, which was 4.7 million tonnes. Our initial target is the order of 7 to 10 million tonnes. We, we think we can expand it to, to those sort of sizes very quickly, but there's nothing to say that beyond that, with exploration success, we, we might... Uh, not delineate 15 to 20, maybe even 30 million tonnes here. Mm. And significantly, there's an opportunity to to discover additional VMS deposits within this district. VMS deposits typically occur in clusters. They they occur by uh, their primary deposition is on the seafloor through essentially a, a crack in the, the Earth's crust. 
where sulfide-rich fluids make their way to the ocean floor and are deposited. So there is a, a very high probability that we will see additional VMS deposits along strike from us, and that is one of our expansionary strategies is to explore for additional deposits along strike. Okay. Uh, there's obviously, there was a long hiatus there in exploration. Um, techniques have improved. Uh, what, what's in the kit bag of uh, modern exploration techniques that you're using or plan to use to um, uh, well, grow antler itself and perhaps identify uh, other VMS targets in the region? I guess the work that we've done to date, we, we just at the deposit itself, we've been drilling much larger diameter core than they did in the, in the old days. We've been drilling HQ core, which is about 63 millimetre diameter. By drilling that, we are getting very good returns, uh, typically 95% recoveries or higher through the ore deposit. And with that, we, we seem to be seeing uh, greater thicknesses and comparable grades to the grades that the uh, to the thicknesses that were returned historically, but I guess on a larger scale, then we have recognised that there is a magnetic mineral called pyrotite that is intimately associated with the mineralisation of antler. Mm-hmm. Now, because that magnetic mineral is present, in June we commissioned a detailed uh, helicopter. Uh, heli- it was a drone mag survey over the antler deposit and over the strike extents of the antler deposit. That drone mag survey has delineated a very strong magnetic anomaly directly over the antler deposit, which is what we expected to see. Now, to date, our drilling has been constrained to about 200 metres of strike over that deposit. But the drone mag anomaly is greater than 1,000 metres in strike so it gives us a great deal of um, positivity that there's opportunity to delineate strike extensions of the mineralisation slightly to the north of Antler, but predominantly to the south of Antler, because we think that that 1,000-metre-long magnetic anomaly is indicative of the presence of additional pyrotype, this magnetic mineral that we've, we've seen mm-hmm. in our drill core. And, and indeed, we think that uh, by drill testing that, we will very likely continue to expand on the resource base. Now, to date, we haven't yet commenced drilling the southern extensions of of that magnetic anomaly because this is a sulphide-rich ore deposit. And with modern geophysics, we can use techniques such as EM and IP to hopefully define greater concentrations of sulphide mineralisation. So right now, indeed, for the last two and a half weeks, we've had an IP survey going on on site that is covering that 1,000-metre-long magnetic anomaly. Mm, That IP survey is designed to test for for greater concentrations of sulphides, and what it should show where there's greater concentrations is there's likely to be greater thicknesses of sulphides, and with those greater thicknesses of sulphides, we see that will give us the best opportunity for initial drill testing to find the thickest, highest-grade extensions of the mineralisation over that 1,000 metres of strike. Mm. So that that IP survey should be completed in a week or so's time. We should have final results 
a week or so after that, and immediately after that we will commence drill testing the best targets that are uh, being delineated in the current IP survey. Okay. Busy uh, six months or so coming up. Um, The private land, uh, the private land system in the States is a bit uh, unusual for Australian investors. Can you just explain the the importance of uh, having a project on private land? It's, it's hugely beneficial uh, in the US to be operating on privately owned land because land rights um, in the US are, are extremely strong and indeed people are, are not permitted trespass onto privately owned land. Mm. Now, going back to 1872 when mining law, uh, when federal mining law was, uh, was established in the US, then the federal government proclaimed that if anyone made a discovery when they were exploring for minerals across the US, then they could apply to have that, that any exploration success, they could apply to have that land deeded to the person who made the discovery. In 1888, the antler deposit was, was discovered by a prospector. So this is going back 140 years ago. Uh-huh. And the prospector delineated mineralisation at surface at Antler over, at the time, over about 300 metres of strike. And so he applied to the federal government to have that land deeded to himself. So he was assigned the surface rights and he was assigned the mineral rights going down to the centre of the earth. So um, for as far as you can project Mm -hmm. that that deposit to the centre of the earth, he was deeded those rights, and so he has the unequivocal, unequivocal rights to develop a mining operation on those privately owned lands. And indeed, a couple of years later, they found further extensions of the, the outcropping mineralisation to the south of the Antler deposit, and on a separate claim, these claims both uh, equate to 20 acres of, of surface area, so in total there's 40 acres of, of privately owned mineral rights here, but the second claim to the south was also deeded to, to the prospector who discovered that southern extension. Mm. So we have the, the categoric rights to develop a mining operation on those privately owned lands. And indeed, if we could constrain all of our disturbance just to those privately owned lands, then there would be very minimal interference from state and federal regulators. Mm. Now, from a permitting perspective. But from a permitting perspective, we have to demonstrate that we are not going to contaminate any areas off those private lands. And so we need to go through the through a, a typical process to, to ensure that water quality is not going to be disturbed um, or degraded and that air quality is not going to be degraded. Mm. Yeah, you have to do the right thing. Um, Correct. Mm. Okay. All right. Um, now... With all this drilling you're doing um, and the results you're getting, uh, what's the expectation around a, uh, a resource update? So we've, we anticipate we'll be drilling through until at least November, December this year, and that work will culminate in a resource, a JOR-compliant resource calculation. Um, at present, all of our drilling has focused on the 200 metres of strike that the antler deposit was was historically mined over mm-hmm. and predominantly the down-dip extensions of that and the mineralisation there remains open. Immediately on completion of the IP survey, we will start drilling that southern 800 metre extension where the magnetic anomaly is 
and where we are optimistic we will delineate IP anomalies to guide us to the better portions of that 800 metres of strike. Once we have some holes into that southern extension, then we will be in a position to incorporate the historic drilling that was done down in that southern extension um, into into a jaw compliant resource calculation, mm-hmm. and we will uh, we are working towards releasing a jaw compliant resource before the end of this calendar year. Mm-hmm. We anticipate moving this deposit into mine permitting extremely quickly. We see there's an opportunity here to develop a very high grade, very low cost mining operation in an extremely favourable jurisdiction. This is located in Arizona which is one of the most mining-friendly states in the US, on privately owned land, which is advantageous for mine permitting. So we anticipate moving this project into mine permitting phase early next year with a view to continuing exploration and mine development studies while we are going through mine permitting. But we would like to be in production here in the next two years in order to capitalise on the current high copper price. Yeah. And uh, I did bang on a bit about copper in the introduction there, but uh, zinc is doing quite nicely too, coming up from, what, $0.80 cents a pound to around $1.10, $1.15 again? Yes, um, that's and, and the outlook for zinc is is also very strong. I, I think the outlook for copper is, is possibly slightly um, stronger than, than uh, zinc, but both commodities are uh, certainly in a, a bullish trend at present. And we would like to capitalise on that by being in production. I think we see with the gold miners uh, around the world and and in particular on the ASX, those gold miners who are in production are commanding a considerable premium in their share price Mm. over those explorers. And we would like to be the next copper development company. And we see that we will be a low-risk copper development company because of the very high grades of the the ore that we will be developing, the very low capex that will be required to to, to develop the operation, and because it's a, a shallow uh, ore deposit in an, a mining friendly jurisdiction with a very uh, well skilled workforce. Absolutely. And just to uh, wrap things up, um, some investors will remember the uh, cobalt in Idaho. Um, that was an earlier focus. What's the situation there now? Um, our, uh, four years ago, we, we um, secured a, a very prospective parcel of land on a very advanced asset in the Idaho Cobalt uh, Belt uh, in Idaho. And over the course of 18 months, we undertook a drilling program and considerable surface sampling, and we've substantially expanded our land holding and our knowledge of that area to the point where we've delineated immediately long strike from where we were drilling. We've delineated an area where there's soil sampling, uh, highly anomalous cobalt soils um, over an area that measures about two kilometres by one kilometre with soil samples running up to 0.11% cobalt in soils, mm. which is almost all grade mineralisation in soils. Okay. By the time we had delineated that large, strong soil anomaly, cobalt price had collapsed from $95,000 a tonne back down closer to, to its current levels of around $30,000 a tonne. Mm-hmm. We firmly believe in the, uh, the, the battery minerals thematic 
We see that the world is going towards electrification of, of vehicles and that with that, there is going to be an, an ongoing strong demand for cobalt as part of the, the batteries for these electric vehicles. And so we firmly believe that the cobalt price will increase again in the near term. But until it does, we're just hibernating that project. That, that project costs us $40,000 US a year to hold, mm-hmm. to maintain 100% interest in. We, we don't have any additional payments to make other than those $40,000 a year to the federal government to, to maintain our project. So for the time being, that's just in hibernation. Right, so a very low-cost option on uh, uh, upside for cobalt is the EV thematic unfolds. Correct. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for your time today, Mike. You've given us a great rundown on Antler um, uh, and alerted us to the fact that uh, there's going to be a lot to look out for in the next six to 18 months as you advance the project uh, towards production, which, as I mentioned at the outstart, is a most unusual thing in copper amongst the juniors on the ASX. So all the uh, best with it and uh, we'll watch with interest. And thanks for your time today. Oh, thanks very much, Brian. It's a pleasure talking to you. Cheers.